Hello friends, I'm Michael Carey and welcome to the Living Truth Podcast. Before we dive in here, I wanted to ask a favor of you. When you get a minute, please give our podcast a rating because doing so actually boosts our podcast in the search engines and therefore making it more accessible for people all around the world. Now, if you could also write a review, well, that's going to help out even more. So thanks in advance for those of you who could take a minute to do that. Now then, I am excited to share these next few episodes, which consists of a panel of men in the battle leaders answering questions from women who are members of women in the battle. And the MC for this panel is a woman in the battle group leader herself. Now, if you're not familiar with these groups, Men in the Battle is for men 18 and older who struggle or have struggled with unwanted sexual behavior, and Women in the Battle is for the women who have gone through the betrayal of the men who struggle. Now, the men and the women consume online curriculum and they attend groups led by trained facilitators in person or over Zoom for discussion and implementation of the material. You can learn more about these groups and how to join by visiting our website at living-truth.org and then scroll down to where you see these groups mentioned and click the button for more information. Okay, let's tune in to part one of the Women in the Battle Men's Panel Discussion. All right, so let's just dive in. I have a lot of questions to get through, and the first one is about um, the man's recovery, and it says, does men in the battle have a standard definition of what sexual sobriety is, or if each man is allowed to come up with his own definition? We do. We have a standard definition that we teach, and... And this comes across in our curriculum. I I talk about this in in our video curriculum. And basically it is that um, any any way that we take our sexuality outside of uh, marital sex is inappropriate. That's what I teach. That's what I tell the guys. Um, Now, we do have guys who come in from other programs and so on and and maybe they already have some kind of a standard. So uh, if they believe or follow something else, we're not going to kick them out. You know, we're not um, we're not going to tell them that he has to change uh, his his belief system and, and that. But we teach what we teach. And this is what we what we tell the guys. Uh, so it comes across in the curriculum. And so so masturbation is uh, it's unnecessary, you know, especially for a guy who has compulsively looked at pornography. Um, you know, masturbation really is just another way of acting out, whether even, even if he's thinking about you, you know, or whatever it is and whatever he claims, or if he says that he's not thinking about anyone. Um, I mean, I've had guys tell me they have to masturbate to go to sleep and I say, try melatonin instead, you know, like there has to be some other options, right? You don't have to do anything. Uh, if I acted on every impulse that I have, I would be in jail. <laughs> I would have murdered several people. <laughs> you know, um, we do not have to act on every impulse. Um, it is true that a man has, uh, I think God, you know, wired men to have, to have a desire uh, for, for a sexual experience with, with his one spouse every few days. I think that that's true, but I don't think that it's a must, you know, when when it uh, when we say we have to, then it becomes a demand, and that's not love. Demands are not love when we're called to love one another. So so you know if he's not getting sex 
from his wife and he says, I have to, to do this. Uh, that's not true. Um, I know plenty of guys and I've, I'm one myself, you know, we've, if we don't masturbate, you know, we haven't lost anyone yet from stopping. Um, no one has ever died from not masturbating. So yes, um, abstaining from, <clears throat> I think that's what it says here. Yeah. Abstaining is abstaining from masturbation considered uh, part of sexual sobriety. So, so yeah, uh, anything. <clears throat> and I've also gone as far as to define masturbation. I had a guy who who said, well, I started to masturbate, but I didn't finish. And so I didn't masturbate. And, and I, and I said, that's, that, that, that's kind of denial. It's kind of like a Bill Clinton escape. You know, we, when we start to have sex with someone, we've had sex with someone, right? When we start to masturbate, we've masturbated. When we start to stimulate ourselves sexually on purpose, <laughs> like that. Um, so that's what we define as masturbation. Uh, anytime that we that we do that, whether we finish or not, you know, is irrelevant. So, so that's um, and we do have to be very real specific with with guys as well, and and teach them these things. Um, so, so again, um, yeah, each man is allowed to come up with his own definition. While while that's true, if he has um, come from another program or whatever it is, like I said, you know, if we're not going to kick him out if he has a different belief or whatever that is. Um. <clears throat> okay. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, when do the men start discussing disclosure and polygraphs in their group? Yeah. Um, and that's, that's uh, wow. The second question right away. That's great. The, the disclosure and polygraph, we're assuming that all women already know what that is, right? Um, where the a therapeutic, we're talking about therapeutic disclosure where we have a counselor in the room and uh, the, the husband is disclosing his, his sexual history to his spouse. And then the polygraph, of course. Um, so we, we talk about that. Um, I believe that, uh, we have a video in, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Brian or Rob, maybe you guys would know exactly where it's at, but, uh, I think it's in week, is it week five or six, something like that, right, right around in there. Yeah, it's five or six. Mm -hmm. So, so we do, and we actually, alongside of that, uh, whether a guy's married or not, we, we ask him to create a sexual history because it really is profitable for him to look at all these different things and to see the madness of it all, to see the craziness of it. Um, in, in the 12 steps, uh, creating sexual history is actually considered a, a step one um, because it shows um, the powerlessness and the unmanageability that we have over this behavior. Uh, we're powerless and, and, and it has controlled our lives and it's, it's unmanageable. So, so we, we encourage that regardless of, even if he's not doing a disclosure and polygraph, we, we have, uh, so we have a couple of uh, videos in that particular week where we do, we talk through the disclosure and polygraph. And, and in the video, I tell guys, if she asks for it, just do it. You know, if you tell the truth, you don't have anything to hide. You're going to pass the polygraph, right? Just go for it and, and disclose everything. It is 
the path to freedom and guys are terrified and full of shame. And that's why um, they are afraid to do some things like this, like the disclosure and the polygraph. So yeah, that's it. If he cannot be fully honest with his men in the battle group, groups, leaders, therapists, but has been in men in the battle for almost two years, is he in true recovery or just fooling himself? Self, is it fair? Is it fair to others in his group? Yeah, I, even before I answer the question, I just wanted to acknowledge that I hear the pain and the hurt and the fear um, behind a lot of these questions. And I empathize with that. I, I want to honor that um, even before answering any of these questions. Uh, in some ways, I'm trying to kind of discern the question behind the question, those kinds of things. But uh, for this particular question, I, I think it might be fair to say that a man is fooling himself, that he's not being honest. But um, I would say that it's not necessarily conscious. Um, in, in some of the groups that I've been in, we talk about the difference between how long have you been in recovery and how long have you been sober? Because the recovery process can be really long. And whenever we're dealing with an addiction, we, we sometimes call it cunning, baffling, and powerful and uh, being fully honest can be really challenging even for the most sincerely motivated man um, because we have lived our lives in shame and in fear hiding the truth has been part of our dna uh, and the time that it takes to really trust someone even including a therapist to be fully honest can can take a while because we've been convinced that if anybody really knew the truth we'd be rejected and so we're so used to hiding it that that is simply the, the way that we live it takes time it's different for each man um uh, so are, are we fooling ourselves by not being honest perhaps but not necessarily consciously i can just tell you my story when I first started recovery, I uh, had about 18 months of sobriety right off the bat. Um, but then when I would slip, my first instinct was again to hide. Uh, and the, the first time I slipped, I, I hid it for a month and continued acting out uh, before I realized how powerless I was against it. And, and so there were some slips and relapses along the way and i really felt like i finally had a handle on this honesty thing and then there were some traumatic events in my life i started acting out again and i immediately went back to thinking that that hiding it was the safest thing to do i would find ways to justify my hiding it like uh, my behavior is not as bad as it used to be i've changed a lot since i first started um, i was even facilitating groups a few years ago and still hiding the truth um, and, uh, it was about two and a half, three years ago that, that, um, I finally stopped hiding and I have not been hiding since, uh, but that was almost 10 years of recovery of on and off being honest, hiding, figuring out 
how to be honest again, that that was the journey for me. Um, I talked to guys about this, that that last 10% of the truth is the hardest to acknowledge. And if you want to take it a little farther, the last 3% of the truth is the hardest to acknowledge. But until you do, you're still going to be trapped. You're still not going to be free until you get to the last 3% of the truth. And it takes time to get there. Obviously, the disclosures and the polygraphs help, um, but it's still difficult and challenging for guys to do it. Is it fair to the other guys in the group uh, if someone's not being honest? Uh, I can just tell you that every guy in the group acknowledges the reality of it. Every guy in the group struggles, to be honest. It's not that we give each other a pass on it, but we we understand the struggle. And we tend to give time and grace to the man who's struggling to tell the truth. We can't force him to tell the truth. He has to be ready to tell the truth. But when he is ready, um, we're there. I, I just, <laughs> I kept going into groups even when I was hiding. And when I was finally ready to tell the truth again, I had the guys in place to do it. I had the support system in place to do it. I knew what to do. And so I was grateful to it. I tell guys, even if you can't tell the whole truth, keep coming back. Keep coming back. Because when the day comes when you can't hide anymore, we're going to be there for you. And you're going to trust us more. And um, uh, so um, I, I hope I didn't give a pass to that question. That wasn't what I intended to do. Just wanted to talk about the reality of how hard it is to learn to tell the truth, even for the most sincere efforts of guys that are in the program. And that's what we work with and work toward. How long from realizing you had a problem until you actually got free from porn? I knew I had a problem in high school, but I struggled alone in isolation for over 30 years. And that's not uncommon for men. However, after um, confessing and finding help, it was a matter of months. Um, it took healing, and I started with an intensive, and it took some real intentional hard work. But within months, I was able to uh, be free of most of my addictive behavior. Yeah, I would say that that's um, that's that's it. This, the the question, yeah, you know, how long from realizing you had a problem till you actually got free? I think that that's um, that you know realizing realizing that you have a problem. Um, for for me, I think I realized that I had a problem when I started looking at porn after I became a Christian you know, and, but I didn't seek help. You know, I think uh, I was like 26 years old. So I thought, this is a problem. I shouldn't be doing this, you know? So, but I think, I think maybe that, um, you know, the big thing is, is when you get into recovery, when you hit a rock bottom, um, that's when the process really speeds up. Right. And, and guys uh, take it seriously and, and, and they they start to achieve freedom, but hitting a rock bottom. I've uh, uh, talked about this before, and that it's like when the pain of keeping the behavior um, is it outweighs the pain of whatever I'm going to have to go through to get free. You know, uh, then that's that's what rock bottom. That's that's the um, uh, the description of rock bottom. Yeah. Uh, Brian, Rob, you want to add anything to that? 
Yeah, I've heard that a lot of times mentioned that when the pain of staying the same is worse than the pain of change, he'll change. And so for some guys that comes as ultimatums, their marriages, they're about to lose their marriage. It could be um, uh, they're about to lose their kids, uh, relationships with them. It could be, you know, they're facing serious consequences with work, losing their career, losing their livelihood, losing their home. Um, serious consequences are sometimes needed for guys where the pain of doing what they're doing um, will outweigh the pain of doing something to change. For me, it was the loss of my marriage and children. Um, I wasn't okay with that. So uh, whatever, whatever I needed to do, I was willing to do it. When and how did you know there were deeper heart issues driving you to look at porn? In other words, that it wasn't just a sex issue, but deeper needs below the surface. And how, how did you begin addressing those deeper soul issues that were driving your addiction? Early on, for, for most guys, we assume that the, the problem is with sexual temptation and our willpower. Um, and um, and I'm, I'm sure I felt that way for a long time. Um, I began seeing a therapist for other related issues like depression, anxiety, that sort of stuff, and was telling him a little bit about my struggle, but not being fully honest. And he began to try to help me see that there were other deeper connections to this thing. Uh, so I began to be aware of that, um, but I hadn't really connected all the dots uh, from my own heart, my own life. Um, I think the biggest change for me personally came when I got into a 12-step group. For me, it was Sexaholics Anonymous. And, and in that group of men who all struggle with the same thing, there was specific conversation on a weekly basis about how to connect the dots between the pain that we've experienced, the rejection we've experienced, and our choice to use uh, sex as a solution for our pain or medication for our pain. Um, so I, I became more aware of it when I got in a group that was specific for that, a group similar to Men in the Battle. Um, I was doing individual and group therapy for two or three years before I got the courage to be completely honest with all of them about what I was still struggling with. Um, and I had insight into some of my childhood wounds and struggles, but it hadn't really enacted much change in me yet because I wasn't sober. Um, and uh, I needed sobriety before the information I was gaining about these deeper wounds began to have some traction in my life. So I got 90 plus days of sobriety. I stopped medicating my emotions uh, and began to actually feel them. I started to be able to think like a sober person rather than think like an addict, as we call it. Um, and uh, I began to gain some of that insight but to be honest, I'm still gaining insight into connecting those dots for myself. Uh, every time we do a lesson and I facilitate it with men in the battle, I learned something more about it. Uh, and as I continued in recovery work in particular um, and kept reading and listening and learning more and more, um, it's like more and more 
awareness came to me. There'd be times when, when I would think, oh, that's what they were trying to tell me five years ago. I, I finally see it now. There are just moments when the Holy Spirit says, okay, uh, it's time for you to fully understand this now. And, and the light bulbs kind of just come on. And the other thing that helped me was really going to multiple sources for help. Things that I was reading, different therapists, different groups that I was attending, all of them played a role in helping me to see the bigger picture um, and uh, to answer some of those questions. But but often it takes time. Uh, there are a lot of defenses that we have up to uh, really seeing the core wounds that are driving a lot of this behavior. And it takes time to dismantle those and be able to see it clearly and begin to change. My spouse says he doesn't feel he has much support in his group or from his new leader as much as his old leader. Could this be true or is it an excuse? I um, found that question to be pretty interesting because um, I, you know, there, there could be, could be both depending on, um, depending on your spouse. I think that uh, so his new leader and his old leader, certainly if he, had to switch groups or whatever this the transition has been he might have connected with with um, uh, one of our facilitators and then uh, the new facilitator maybe he doesn't connect with as much I think that that's possible but I don't think that that's um, a reason for him to leave men in the battle I don't think it's a um, I don't think it's a uh, any kind of a reason for him to to not attend or to not or, or to even want to switch groups because uh, the the real intent of men in the battle is for the guys to connect with each other. Uh, the facilitator is there to help the guys connect with each other and help them apply the curriculum to their lives. So, and then yes, the facilitator certainly can connect with the guys and, and provide some mentoring type of roles, but, um, but that so, so but that isn't the, the main function. So so yes, um, certainly it could be true that uh, he he doesn't feel um, as connected, or maybe he's not getting the same support that he got. And then the other piece of it is, you know, he should ask. Uh, he needs to talk to his facilitator and and tell him that I received this from the previous group, and so I would like to see if I can get the same thing here. You know, uh, so it's up to him to ask for that uh, because we don't have any perfect facilitators for sure. Um, some of them, and when we have several, several facilitators that are brand new. So, uh, so I hope that makes sense. You know, there's a, there's a lot of different pieces to that puzzle that you're asking. Um, so I think, but I think it really is on him to ask for what he needs and to connect with the other guys in his group first and foremost. Um, and then if the, if the old leader is still available, uh, I think that there's a potential that he can still ask that facilitator to mentor him and he can still connect with, um, you know, because that's the way that the network of men in the battle is supposed to work. Uh, we have the same setup as you all have on the women in the battle website where we can connect with each other and send messages on the website and so on and so forth. So, so um, there could be some excuses in there. That, that he's making if he's saying that he doesn't want to go or he's going to quit or something like that uh, because no that's um, uh, he he needs to step up and to ask for what it is that he needs I know every sex addict is different 
but could you talk about the journey of brokenness? I see some brokenness in my husband, and I see he is trying his best, but I also think due to emotional immaturity, he struggles to fully look at what he's done and the pain that that he has caused. My expectations are that as he journeys towards freedom, hopefully, he will become more broken. Is this a fair expectation? That is a great question. First and foremost, I want to say yes, that is a fair expectation. But I also want to qualify that, that his brokenness may look different than you're expecting it to look. Um, I think the best, I think you're really right on track with the emotional immaturity is one of the reasons it's difficult for him to look at the full scope of what he's done. Um, I've heard this explained as if a soldier threw a grenade in a town and blew a complete blew a town up and that's your life. And as he grows in maturity, there's a nearby mountain and he can climb part of that mountain and look over part of the destruction. And it takes a fully mature man to go to the top of the mountain and see all of the destruction he's caused in your life, your children's lives, your family's lives. And that takes time. It takes maturity. It takes a lot of work of his to reduce his own shame. Because one of the things that blocks most men that I've recognized, and myself included, is that our shame blocks us from seeing beyond our own story. And so we really, he really needs to do a lot of the work in shame to overcome his own shame, and then he can grow in emotional maturity. So his brokenness uh, may look a little bit different. It may look like um, he's starting to believe in himself a little bit more. Um, One of the things that brought to mind this question was the guy who is, um, you know, crying at your feet at the floor and he's so sorry for what he's done seems to be displaying a lot of brokenness but a lot of times he's buried in his own shame so it's not necessarily the brokenness you're looking for it's remorse and remorse takes maturity so it's kind of when he gets to that point where he's full-on broken and in his own shame the next step is where does it lead? Because a broken man can return to addiction. But if a man has true humility and remorse, he'll turn from that shame, he'll turn into recovery, and then he can start looking at the full scope of the damage that he's caused. I mean, there's there's a lot to that question. It's beautifully written, and I think you're right on the money with his emotional immaturity, because that's really what we're coming out of with addiction is extreme emotional immaturity and shame. And it's really hard to look past our own story until we can grow a little bit, learn a little bit, overcome some of our own shame and become a little bit more emotionally mature. Yeah, Rob, I couldn't agree more with that. And um, I was just thinking as, yeah, as you were talking, um, what is brokenness? when we, we talk about openness, brokenness, willingness, humility, these kind of uh, things that women should look for um, in a man who is going to achieve freedom. But what does brokenness really look like? And so you, yeah, you really nailed it by saying it's remorse, you know, 
that's that's the kind of brokenness you know broken saying i'm sorry you know but yeah remorse that uh also so if i could add anything it would be you know the, the remorse that turns into empathy and empathy takes maturity as well you know it's um i don't think empathy is in the um uh, the the guy struggling with unwanted sexual behavior in in his vocabulary in the beginning and it's something that also that has to develop right yes e- empathy is a very mature emotion and when when a man looks like he he may look broken but if he's buried in his own shame he is not being empathetic because it's still all about him that's exactly exactly right yeah the shame shame being ashamed so broken uh in the in the context of just being ashamed i mean i think that being ashamed is natural in the beginning but yeah uh there has to be some remorse in there as well not just shame i know in my story my wife wants to know that i fully understand the pain that i've caused and that takes some real maturity to get to that point. Um, just being sorry about it and, and really, really regretful doesn't really encompass the full measure of the pain that I've caused. I have seen guys that are really good at this. So your men can do this. They can grow in. Do you ever get to a point where you can act normal and not act out? The anxiety as to when the next time will be is crazy. I I would love to say that I can imagine what that's like, the anxiety, um, but I but I can't. I I don't. I haven't uh, experienced that. The anxiety as to when the next time will be. Um, and that's, that's really the focus. It's, it's really, it is a difficult process. It is possible. It's a difficult process for, for you that you're going through. So, so I just wanted to, to acknowledge that first, but, um, uh, the answer is yes, it is possible. It is definitely possible where, um, you get to a point where you, where, where you stop acting out and that's, definitely what um men in the battle is geared for we we um uh, in many circles you know they toss around the the concept of sobriety or that term and 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 we embrace that we like that but we also like to use the word freedom and freedom uh being that uh, i i want guys to get to a place to where and and that's that's my goal that's our goal is to help guys get to a place to where they uh, have freedom, so much freedom that they they just they just don't uh, act out. They just don't do it. If the desire ever comes, they know what to do with the desire. They know why it might be there. They can translate it into what they really need, and then they can turn around and ask for that need to be met. And we actually teach them in our curriculum how to identify needs and how to ask for needs to be met. So the whole process of the men in the battle curriculum is designed to give them all of the tools to cope with life in healthy ways so that they don't need their drug, right? They don't look, they don't behave that way any longer. So, uh, but it is a process. And during that process, I'm sorry that your anxiety 
is there. I wish that uh, that were not the case. I wish that your um, spouse would would stop um, if if you're married. And uh, so that that's definitely the goal, and it is possible. And that's the whole design of Men in the Battle to seek freedom, so much freedom that we do not need uh, the web blockers and filters and things like that on our devices. We just simply don't look at anything inappropriate on that.